A guy right. builds a home like building a home in Aruba, okay? You, and they're beautiful stone walls, homes like this. And then the bank comes in and says, it's worth $300,000. It was only $100,000 to build. So the bank has just created an extra $300,000 of assets on their balance sheets. Right. Just like that. And what do we do? We pay for it. And again, my father tried to teach us this stuff and I learned, but I realized by taking some, some financial courses on real estate that you get that loan. And this is what Robert Kiyosaki teaches. And you take money out and go buy another appreciating asset with it so that the money that you've borrowed from the bank, other people's money is actually working for you. For you. Welcome to the show. I am your host, Anya Fombat, and I spark the heart conversations that challenge questionable cultural and societal norms that threaten the well-being of the African community. And I also share stories about growing up as Africans in Africa and in the diaspora. I strongly believe that normalizing open discussions and sharing experiences, whether good or bad, will not only make you find your voice, but will broaden your sense of purpose and empower others to do the same. So if you have ever tried challenging certain African cultural and societal doctrines, or if you have ever felt like it is about time that we confronted these issues in our African community and do better as a people, or even if you have always been interested in learning about the experiences of other Africans growing up in Africa and the diaspora, then you are in the right place. Welcome to Living African. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Living African. So today we will be talking about a very important and very necessary conversation and topic, which is rarely introduced into our communities. And I hope that by the end of this conversation, we should have learned a lot more than what we knew when we came or when we started listening to the conversation. So today we will be talking about financial literacy, life insurance, and ways to build generational wealth. I know a lot of us, especially those listening to this podcast, are probably around my generation or even younger. We have a lot of youths listening to me. And I I really hope that this topic speaks to a lot of us so that we can start being financially literate and financially responsible at our young age so that by the time we are the age of our parents, we should have been in the be- in a better position to be wealthy, which we're going to you know, discuss what that is all about, and also be financially stable even when we retire. So I have here with me two wonderful, wonderful men who will be speaking about their experience and also their expertise. So I have here with me Dr. Martin Quende and Mr. Mark Stewart. I want to welcome you both to the show. How are you guys doing today? Been great. Uh, How are you? I am doing wonderful. Thank you so much. And I am super excited to talk to you guys today because this will also be a classroom for me. I will be learning a lot of tips and a lot of very, very helpful information from both of you, from your stories and your experiences, years of experiences, I must add. So let's just go straight to it. I would like for you both to start by introducing yourself. And I will start with you, Dr. Quende. Thanks, Anya. And thanks for, for uh, welcoming me to your show. I've been listening to the great work that you do. I'm very impressed. So I'm glad to be on this show. 
Thank um, you. Obviously, you know, my name is Dr. Martin Quinn. I'm a scientist by training. I'm actually from the Southern Cameroons. And uh, I studied in Europe. I came to the US. I'm, I'm married. I have three kids and I have my beautiful wife. And I work in the medical device space for about 20 years. I used to make things that you put inside of people, brain simulators, pacemakers, tents, and stuff like that. Uh, but one of the things that I really didn't understand is the concept of money, right? So I got a financial advisor and I started asking money questions. And that's how I got to the point of learning a bit about, you know, building wealth, life insurance. And that's kind of why, yeah, you know, so that's why, you know, I'm excited to share that with the community because I realized that's one of the things that we really don't know a lot about, you know. Right. Community. Right. Thank you so much for that introduction. And we look forward to learning a lot more about you, especially from the knowledge that you have acquired through the years. And what about you, Mr. Stewart? Uh, thank you, Anya. Yes, um, I'm here in California. I'm, I'm a little bit older. I've got adult children, three adult children, 31 to 28. Um, I started over, I have a 14-year-old, beautiful young man, heart and soul, and I've got a six-year-old grandson. Um, right. I'm from the medical space also, but not as a scientist in the dental field. And you have a wonderful smile, I meant to tell you. <laughs> thank <laughs> you. <laughs> so my father was a children's doctor for 50 years. We're from a small island called Aruba off the coast of South America. We're Caribbean like this. And so right. we came here for the American dream. And I learned some things from my father and learned some things on the hard way as far as how to build wealth, how to save, got in trouble with all that. But I started doing it through real estate, buying and holding and renting real estate and leveraging in order to build my wealth when I was younger than you. And right. um, currently I'm still using the same strategies, but <laughs> since I had a young one at 46 years old, our children, Dr. Martin and I played soccer together on an international Barcelona team. And mm -hmm. I kept seeing this gentleman and dressed so sharp to the nines, picking up <laughs> garbage on the soccer field. And so I asked him, sir, excuse me, but can you tell me what you do? He said, we teach families financial literacy. And I'm like, I'm always open. I was always open. I had a great career, but I experienced a lot of loss financially in the stock market crash of 2002, 2008. Mm -hmm. I lost properties in Texas all my assets here because I didn't know how to preserve wealth. And when he showed me, it made complete sense. It was a no brainer. I immediately tweaked my portfolio. And ever since then, I've been teaching and mentoring youth such as yourself. Right. And I say that, you know, tongue in cheek, because you are an adult, but in my <laughs> mind, I've got children your right. age like this to be able to do better for their generations and their generations to come like my grandson. Because if we don't know this stuff as parents and grandparents, how are we going to pass it on? Yeah. So for me, this is a blessing to be able to be here and share this with whoever can just hear my voice and listen to my story. Right. And again, I'm grateful and indebted to Dr. Martin for actually taking the time to share this with me so that we can pass this blessing on to more people in this world. Right, right. Thank you so much for that introduction. And as always, I, like I said, I, I really look forward to hearing more about your story. And actually talking about your story, can you please enlighten us or share with us your own experience, like your family experience with just wealth and the importance of building generational wealth? Absolutely. Thank you for that. So like I said, being from the medical field and being immigrants here to this country, my father told us, my brother and I, he's four years older, that as men of color, and it doesn't matter where you're from, but we're going to have to work two, three times as hard to get ahead in this country because they don't give you anything for free in the United States. Yeah. And we're like, really, dad? Oh, okay, sir. So he made us understand the value of money. He told, tried to teach us about credit and about debt and about compound interest and taxes. Mm -hmm. okay? But we didn't listen and we found out the hard way. 
So that being said, as my father was working in his practice and helping a lot of children, the next generations here in California, we saw him give to the community. Now, as he built his wealth, we weren't really aware of it, but as they got older, they would always travel to the Caribbean for carnival, have a great time, but then they started slowing down in their 60s. Right. They weren't paying attention because we had our own families at that time. I had homes, I had three children, busy working six days a week. Time just goes. My sister's doing nursing. She's seven years younger. My brother traveling for Hewlett Packard. Then one time our auntie came in town and said, your father's suffering. Your mom and dad are slowing down. We're like, what? It was early onset dementia. Hmm. And that's a horrible disease. Then they started getting lost. They can't change their clothes. And then it starts to shift to Alzheimer's. Mm -hmm. Now, this was a very hard time for us to accept this as children, to see our parents and asking our dad, can we get somebody to come in the home to help you clean this house, large house on the hill. We were the first black family to move up in this affluent area. And he's like, no, I can handle it. But we're like, dad, you know, at some point, you know, we need to get you help. So he, he conceded one person came in and then mom started to slow down. Then we had to get a few other people to come in. Now this disease robs you of your faculties. And when it turns to Alzheimer's, then you start having motor function issues. He was falling. She was falling, you know, wetting themselves, being able to take, do the daily living functions. Mm -hmm. And it's horrible to see. So we're coming together. They would fall, go to the emergency room, go to rehab care, come back to the house. It would happen again. But my father was smart enough to protect his estate that he built through real estate and different investments. The same things I was doing that he had taught. I'd seen an example, mm -hmm. but he used insurance to create a bubble, a legacy plan. And part of that insurance was having care, long-term care, because Every time they would have to go to a facility, it was paid for by the insurance company. Mm -hmm. And when the people came to come in to take care of them, we had four people at one time, two per person taking care of my parents. It was about $15,000 a month for their care because those caregivers don't make a lot of money. Those companies make a lot of money, for-profit agencies. Mm -hmm. And if you look at our population living longer, people need care, and especially ladies that live longer. So that plan must have paid out over the course of almost two years, over $250,000 for my parents in home and rehab care. And if you wow. think about it, if people don't have those plans in place and the state plan, then they're pulling from their savings and their retirement plans to take care of their plan, take care of their issues. Mm -hmm. And most of the times it's like, you're better off passing away and actually leaving something than depleting all of your savings that you've worked for just to hang on for another three to five years. Right. And so that's my story with our family and to see it happen and to see these plans in place is just amazing. But my father and I have his books here on retirement planning. You have to educate yourself about our yes. system and the tools that are available to you. And if you right. don't know, nobody's going to come and teach you. So you're doing a great thing on, you know, on this podcast to be able to educate people. Thank wow. you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for that story. And that just highlights why we're having this topic at this time. So I know we've been throwing the word wealth, wealth, wealth. Wealth is actually, I came to discover that people, it's looked upon differently depending on, you know, where you come from. Like the wealth here in America is definitely not looked upon the same way as wealth back home in Africa. So I wanted to bring you in, Dr. Quende, to just give us an understanding of what you think about wealth and its outlook in, let's say, in the West, in America versus in Africa. Well, thanks, Anya, 
for that question. By the way, I just want to appreciate uh, Mr. Mark Stewart for always sharing his, his story because every time he does, he kind of touches me, even though I've heard it a lot of times. But I'm glad that more people get to hear that story because it really tells of you know the importance of understanding the financial system the right way. Yeah. Right. So when it comes to the concept of wealth, I mean, growing up, I. <laughs> I didn't have much of it, even though, you know, I saw my siblings that were older, you know, they're, they're medical doctors, you know, PhD, and they were living a good life in the environment that I grew up, right? Yeah. But I don't remember our family having wealth, like, all oh, we feel like we're rich, if that's what wealth means, right? But I came to understand that myself, and the way I define wealth right now, it's actually global. We call it the five F's. It's about faith, family, finance, fitness, and fun. We call it mm. five. Let me say that again. Faith, family, finance, fitness, and fun. If you are wealthy, then you have a good balance in those five key areas of life. Now, part of the challenge that most people have is what we call wealth as finance. It's just one aspect of wealth building, right? Which means you have a lot of money. Mm -hmm. The challenge is that there are a lot of people that have a lot of money, but they're not happy, they're not healthy, right? So if you don't right. have balance in life, you are not wealthy, even if you have a lot of money. There are people that have a lot of money, they go commit suicide because they're not happy. That makes sense? So having wealth is more than just about having money. However, if you don't have money, then you cannot be a great Christian because you can't take care of the poor by being one of them. You can't take care of your family, right? right? You cannot take care of your health and have some fun. So taking, doing the money part is key, but it's not just about money. It's about having balance in life. Right. And then what do you think, I mean, how do you think wealth is commonly looked upon back home in Africa, especially? I think most people look at wealth. So we, we have people that, if, if I ask you right now, when I grew up, I say, okay, name five wealthy people. People would easily call names. I'm not going to name any names right now because my name makes sense to you or anyone. That's right. But I name that pop out just like, oh, this person is wealthy. Just why? Because that's what we see. Right, mm -hmm. someone say, Oh, this guy owns hotels here or they own buildings here. Right? Mm -hmm. The truth is that we don't know how they own those buildings. Some people own buildings that are collateralized by the bank, so you don't, they don't really own it, but their names are on it. Does that make sense? Right. So it's kind of like there's what we see and there's what is real. Right. Right. So when I talk about wealth right now, because I pay that attention, I look at it totally differently. When I was young, I, I was just listening. People say, oh, this guy's wealthy. And I really didn't understand what that meant, but there was something physical that we saw yeah, that made us say that this person is wealthy. At least going back home, that's what I understood. Yeah. Right? So mm -hmm. I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, uh, it definitely made sense because even growing up in Africa, for example, in Cameroon specifically, and also from having conversations with my other friends who are Africans, wealth to them, you know, like back then, our ideology of wealth was more of like, if you have a big house, you have, you have a nice car, you know, and I feel like a lot of Africans actually bring that ideology here to America and then they end up living above their means. <laughs> and so it's like, they want to have the big car and the house and everything just to show show off and have that you know we live in a community where reputation is everything so it's like if you're seen in a big car or a big house or the latest version of some phone it means you're wealthy you're doing well and stuff like that but I came to realize really quick that that usually isn't the case now for you Mr. Stewart is that the same way wealth is looked upon in Aruba 
Um, yes, kind of in Aruba because it's a small island. Same thing with Trinidad. Um, wealth coming from those those countries are, yeah, having affluent car, home, a good either business, small business, or a good occupation. And if you can get off the island and come to the United States, then you've done well. <laughs> right, right. And so I, I would think as well that when it has to do with wealth, that ties hand in hand with financial literacy, right? Because there are a lot of people I feel, and that's why I want us to have this conversation, because I think there are a lot of people who think they're wealthy, but they really are not. And that's also, they don't know that because they are not financially literate. I mean, probably by the end of this conversation, I would probably think that I haven't, I have way less than I thought I did. <laughs> so... <laughs> So I actually look forward to it. Now, what do you think is financial literacy, Dr. Quende? Yeah, financial literacy is just understanding, in my mind, basic concepts about money, okay. right? Uh, how money grows, right? How it compounds, basically. How it gets taxed. How it gets protected, mm-hmm. right? Uh, concept, basic concept like inflation. Mm-hmm. If you put your money somewhere, how do you access the money? It's just basic stuff that people don't think about. So think about a simple example like going to the bank. You open a bank account. The bank takes your money, right? And what do you think they're typically doing with the money? They're investing it. But guess what? They're not giving you the money that they make on your money. Right. right? So let's say the bank takes your money on a checking or savings account. They pay you like 0.1% and they charge Mr. Mark 10% on the credit card. Very typical. They charge right. percent on the mortgage a year for 30 years, four times 30 is what, 120%. And they have to pay the 100%, so you pay 220% on the house. Right. People buy a house casually, I'm like, are you kidding? Like, seriously? When you understand the basics of money, you put the money in the city, they pay you 1% and inflation is 3% negative. Right. And they make you 10, 15% on your money. Right? Yeah. Or somebody says, hey, you have your money in this account, you're working. They say, put your money in this 401k kind of account. Don't pay tax right now. You should wait. It's called tax defer. You're going to pay it later. And I'm like, do you understand that this government is going to need more money down the road? So guess what? They're going to charge you more tax because they have to. So someone right. telling you, hey, don't pay, pay tax right now. Wait until later so they can charge you as much as they want. Does that sound like a great idea? <laughs> probably not but if you don't understand the basics you just do whatever they tell you right and that's, that's really the, the bottom line about financial literacy is really just understanding the game yeah if you play any game like you play soccer for example i love soccer but you don't know the rules are you ever going to win any game no <laughs> so how do we get in the game of money but we don't even know the rules <laughs> right right that's very true thank you so much i see uh see you shaking your head a lot mr stewart do you have anything to add to that <laughs> oh, absolutely. Because think about it. Those of us that own homes, and I did this since I was 28 years old, mm-hmm. bought a property and go, the keys, I own a home. <laughs> but wait a minute. It's not mine. It's the banks. Right. So the terms of the loan, do you own a home? You've signed a contract for a home mortgage. You look at it and you say, oh my goodness, I'm going to be paying 6% for 30 years on this to the Mm -hmm. bank. That's barely enough to cover the interest. Okay. And then if I don't pay it at some point, they foreclose and it's happened to me. They'll Mm -hmm. go and resell that house to somebody else. They can create money out of thin air by creating mortgages. A guy builds a home, like building a home in Aruba. Okay. And they're beautiful stone walls, homes like this. And then the bank comes in and says, 
it's worth $300,000. It was only $100,000 to build. So the bank has just created an extra $300,000 of assets on their balance sheets. Right. Just like that. And what do we do? We pay for it. And again, my father tried to teach us this stuff and I learned, but I realized by taking some, some financial courses on real estate that you get that loan. And this is what Robert Kiyosaki teaches. And you take money out and go buy another appreciating asset with it so that the money that you've borrowed from the bank, other people's money is actually working for you. You, yeah, that's true. That's true. Thank you so much for, for that input. Now, I mean, if you ask anyone or everyone, actually, if they want to be wealthy, everyone wants to be wealthy, right? Everyone wants to be financially stable, financially independent and everything. And uh, But nobody, I mean, most people don't really know how, right? And I, I know I was having a conversation the other day with you, Dr. Quinn, that you said, you know, like, for those who want to be doctors, they go to med school, nurses go to nursing school, lawyers go to law school, but like, Nobody really knows what school to get in if they want to be wealthy, right? There's no wealthy school or wealth school and stuff like that. So these are just programs and things that we have to consciously or proactively do that research, you know, to find out the ways. And it shouldn't be like that because ultimate purpose in life is also to have a comfortable life, right? And that will also add up to our happiness and to every other goal that we are trying to pursue. So what do you think, Dr. Quende, about what people need to know or to do the various things that they could do to build wealth, both here in America or back home in Africa? That's, that's a great question. First of all, I just want people to pay attention to what's going on around them, right? The truth is that, like in the U.S., we get so busy on a daily basis trying to survive that we don't have time to think about what's going on. Right. right? Like we're working all the time, we're doing all this stuff just to get by. And the system is designed that way for a purpose. So I just want people to slow down just a little bit and really think, is this really what I want to get in life? Because when you start asking questions, then your life will change because you're right. going to start trying to get the right answers. But we get too busy, we forget. To, to check the basic stuff. The right. truth is that every one of us wants to be wealthy. Unfortunately, I didn't even know my father, right? So I couldn't even like depend on my father to, to, to make me wealthy because I didn't have one. Mm. And then my mother passed away when I was only 16 years old. Mm. So I, if I, I was waiting on my parents to do that, it wasn't going to happen. Then I left Africa at the age of 18 to go to college. So think about it. At 16, I knew absolutely nothing about wealth. <laughs> right, And then I go off to a foreign land having no clue about how to become wealthy, but I'm chasing school because yeah. I'm told that well, the only outlet that you have to be successful in life is to do school. Mm. Then I come here just to realize that there's something called the cash flow quadrant. And I know I'm trying to make everybody understand this, but let me keep it very basic. All it says is that you can be in one of two places. On one side, I'll call it the left side. You have a job, so you're working. Right, you, you you work eight hours, they pay eight hours. You work ten hours, they pay ten hours. Zero hours, zero pay. That's mm -hmm. called a job. Okay. On the other side, you you're a business owner. You own a small business, but you have some people working for you. So you have a little system. That means if you work or not, you're making some money. Or you some of these wealthy people that already have a bunch of money, like Warren Buffett, and then that money is working for you. For them, yeah. Right. So that's one side. On the right, on the left side, you work. You 
you only get paid on the time that you have. And I discovered that all of my life that I worked and studied with all the degrees that I have 20 years of work, I was stuck on the left side. That means if I didn't work, no pay. Right. Right. And then they told me that there's another side where whether you work or not, if you position yourself correctly, other people can work for you. Yeah. And for me, that's how I discovered that there's a simple difference between being broke and being financially free. Mm. Just by deciding what side you're on. And my point is that what for us, most of us in our communities growing up, we only learn that the more hours you work or the more, the more, more money you get paid per hour, that's how you become wealthy. But guess mm. what? You only have 24 hours in the day. Right. So you kind of stuck if you're still on that left side. And for me, that's really, that was like mind-changing, just understanding the difference between having no leverage and having leverage. That's it. Wow, wow, wow. That's that's very interesting. Thank you so much. And uh, do you have anything to add on that, Mr. Stewart, about you know ways that people can build wealth both here yes, and out um, back home? Thank you. Yeah, I uh, I employed, like I said, using real estate to build wealth because ownership, especially for our communities, is key. Mm. We go through like Dr. Martin was saying, we go through life, we're so busy with our job that we don't take the time to think about having something to own. Yeah. And my father did it. Same thing through real estate, buying multi-units, holding them, and then passing them on to the generation. We still have property in Aruba and in Trinidad also that our family has held. They say when you own the land, you know, you're never going to lose. It's not going to depreciate. So being able to have ownership. So I modeled that because I knew I wanted to have ownership at a young age. Like you said, if you don't start in your 20s, then you're behind already. So I studied at 26, 27. This was before I went into dentistry. And I got stuck on that left side because I was a solo practitioner in a small business mm. with me doing it and having, having an injury where I had to go produce, even though it was my, my business. But if I didn't work, I didn't make money. So I was always right. looking for a way to leverage my time better to be able to have other streams of income coming in and not right. have to work so hard. Right. Yeah. Let's actually talk about the importance of multiple streams of income because you just mentioned that. And I really feel like that's something that we have to be very proactive about. That's also something I'm struggling with as well, because like you both said, on the left side of the equation, you go to work. It's like you're so consumed with, you know, the daily motions like work. Some people work 12 hours, 10 hours. So by the time you come back, you're so exhausted. You don't even have time to think. And you probably have family. You probably have so many other things that you're doing, but you, you don't even have time or even the strength for a second job and stuff like that. So I, I really wanted us to talk about the importance of having multiple streams of income. I mean, at some point it may not be easy especially at the start, but eventually I believe it would definitely pay off because maybe at the start you, you still have your full-time job and you're juggling every other thing. But what do you guys have to add on that, you know, about the importance of multiple streams of income and how that plays a huge role in financial literacy, as well as building generational wealth? So as far as I'm concerned, um, from what I've seen is that multiple streams of income is key because they say, if you're always working for money, and Warren Buffett says, you will work until the day you die. If you don't have your assets working for you and having extra streams coming in, then you're always going to be on that left side, trading your time for money. Mm -hmm. And time is something that you can never get back. Believe me, yeah. I know working six days a week to provide a household and trying to do real estate on the side, but I knew what my goal was. So that being said, but you said it, 
people are so caught up in the daily routine and look at all of our healthcare workers, 16 hours a day like this, they're exhausted, COVID, then they get sick or they have a loved one that passes away or is dealing with taking care of an elder loved one. Mm -hmm. And they've got no time for their children, mommy, daddy. And I remember those times too. Why are you so busy? Why are you so tired? Yeah, um, I have to do what I have to do to provide. Yeah. And then your, your time goes. So you can decide, you can keep chasing the almighty dollar or you can try to do something and it may not be hard because the joke is I'm Jamaican, I'm Caribbean. I have 14 jobs, man. <laughs> like this, and, <laughs> and zero time for your five, four or five children because you're working too much. Right, right. That's very true. What about you, Dr. Quende? Yeah, so the, the, it took me a while to start to understand what's going on. I, I, I watched a video on, on YouTube and it said, it went to the effect of some of us that love soccer. I know African most people love soccer. So you think about Lionel Messi, right? Mm -hmm. He just moved from, from uh, Barcelona to PSG. Mm -hmm. Do you know that that guy gets paid more in one week in around a sack of air <laughs> than the university professor makes in 20 years teaching the next doctors? Wow. <laughs> that's the truth right right and, and that kind of opened my mind why because if you think about it if a professor is teaching 100 doctors a year 100 and he teaches for 20 years guess what he would have taught 2,000 doctors 20 times 100 correct those are the people that are willing to pay money so that's kind right. of how you have to think about it but if Messi is kicking around his sack of air Millions of people are watching that are willing to pay. So they don't pay you based on the depth of knowledge you have. It's on how broad what you do is. Yeah. That's, in my mind, what they call multiple streams of income. Does that make sense? Yeah. Where you can do one thing one time and a lot of people pay you. That's not something that we get taught growing up. Yeah. We get taught that you have to be the specialist. You have to be the best surgeon. Yeah. The, the best, best doctor. Professor, right? The best lawyer. <laughs> That's true. So we get stuck. It's kind of crazy when you think about it. I mean, we grew up, we hard working, we smart, but we stay broke. Right. Because we don't understand the basic concepts of money. So this is my bottom line. Every time you work and somebody pays you money, that means they kept some of your money. Is mm. that true? Because if they don't do that, they'll not be able to make money. So you're a pharmacist by training. Every time you do the pharmacy stuff we normally do and they pay you, Mm -hmm. that means they kept some of your effort is that true yeah that's true so every time we get paid someone gets part of our money that's a given so the question really is not whether someone's going to get your money the question really is whose other whose money are you getting right how many people can you have how many things can you have that when they happen you get paid that's how you have to think that's the difference but that's not how we grow up we grew up only thinking that you know the deeper you go into knowledge and the better the title the better you are. And it's not true. Yeah. yeah, that's true. And also, I mean, when you say deeper you go into knowledge, I just want to clarify that because I mean, knowledge is power as a whole, right? So the more knowledge you have, the better. But I believe what you mean is more of like the more you sit in the classroom, right? Because you can, <laughs> you can learn knowledge from, you can learn knowledge, a lot of knowledge from experience or expertise or, you know, sharing, networking and talking to people, you know? So it doesn't, you don't have to have the highest degree or, I mean, you look at all the wealthy people, all the billionaires, like they barely made it through high school 
school or even college. You know, they're all college dropouts and stuff like that. So, and I also wanted to add to the fact that um, in order for you to really have a sustainable emphasis on sustainable uh, multiple streams of income, you also have to do something you're passionate about, right? Because Lionel Messi, he's passionate about soccer, right? He just did not do it for the money, you know, because he wouldn't have been, it wouldn't have been sustainable for him to this point, you know? So it also has to do with passion, you know, like just having that deeper look into ourselves and looking at the things that we're passionate about. And one thing I wanted to add as well is that um, in the African community, we are fond of, you know, a community that stands on principles of reputation, like I had mentioned. We are fond of looking down on certain roles, looking down on certain things. Um, and so it kind of discourages certain people who are otherwise passionate about those to explore their skills and expertise in those areas. You know, like for example, growing up, we we thought, you know, the people who were barbers or the people who were seamstresses or tailors, those are the uneducated people. But I feel like a shift is happening in our generation now that you see even people who went to school um, are now, you know, getting into like, you know, their skill sets. You see like very good tailors, very, I mean, there are a lot of tailors that make a lot of money than pharmacists, for example, you know, and they, they're celebrity tailors, designers, fashion designers and things like that. So um, I, I just want to encourage our, especially our people, not to despise little beginnings. If you're passionate about something, um, explore that um, because that could potentially be one of your largest source of income down the road. Actually, that's, the, yeah, actually you, you said that I can't even wait just to share this because my personal story, right? right? I grew up, I was like always in the top 1% of any class that I've been in, just in school. And so when I was younger, my older brother says, my older brother is American, but good. Mm-hmm. he says, you have to go do medicine, mm-hmm. right? I'm mm-hmm. like, no. I said, I know that medicine is a calling. And yeah. I've been listening and they didn't call my name. <laughs> right? right? <laughs> it's, not my, <laughs> it's not my passion, so I couldn't do it. It kind of led me off the hook. So I went and did engineering instead. Mm-hmm. However, my real passion is teaching. That's the gift that I have. I know that I love empowering knowledge. Right. But I did not want to empower people with like physics knowledge. That was not my thing. Does that make sense? Right. But right. I wanted to empower people. That's a gift that I have. For the reason of my experience of my older brother, guess what? My kids right now, that's how Mark and I met. My kids, I put them into a lot of things. Soccer, dancing, karate. Why I wanted yeah. to expose them. I didn't want to dictate to them what they should do in their life. Right. So guess what? My first son wants to be a professional soccer player. He's built for sport. Like he's, mm-hmm. you know, I don't even care if he makes it, but I know he has what it takes and he has the passion. Right. And because of what I am able to do now, I give them time, go perfect. They are doing something that they love. Yeah. My two boys, they love soccer. They are dedicated like you can't even believe it. My daughter loves dancing. Right. Right. She's mm-hmm. dedicated to her dancing. It's crazy. Yeah. When I grew up, I said I want to play soccer. <laughs> You're going to be, <laughs> that idea will be beating out of your head. Right. 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 That's true. <laughs> <laughs> I love what you're saying about passion. If yeah. you do what you're passionate about, then it comes naturally. Yeah, it comes naturally. You just have to find a way to what? Monetize it. That's it. Yes. And I think as parents, we have to help our kids in our communities learn how to figure out their passion. Yeah. Like their purpose and get a passion for it. Yeah, that's very true. I mean, when I started this podcast, I really didn't understand the impact it was going to have. And it wasn't even only about the impact, but I didn't know how 
invested I would have been I, I was you know into it until I started so also that also emphasizes the need to just start even if you're afraid so right now I mean I feel like I'm at a place where you know I'm actually trying to explore different options to start monetizing the podcast so hey this goes out to anyone who wants to <laughs> to sponsor the podcast yeah but I feel like you know when I look at this, I look at this as bigger than me, right? There are some days I just don't have that motivation, but I look at this as bigger than me. And that's what keeps me going, you know? And that also boils down to passion because if I wasn't passionate about it, then I most likely would not have even bothered, you know? So, I mean, I just wanted to throw that out there and I really hope that people can learn from that. Now, Talking about that generational wealth, you know, it's not only about just being wealthy in the now, it's about leaving that legacy for our future generations, right? Which is something, again, that it's not common in our community. A lot of people are focused on how I look now, what house I have now, what car I, I drive in now, you know, but then life happens. We don't prepare for things. We come to realize when it's already almost too late or even already too late that we don't prepare for things like, you know, when children come, we really don't understand how expensive if children are and discover that we don't actually, we did not plan for that. And then when we retire, we discover how maybe the government has, you know, robbed us, <laughs> you know, or we back home, even though they don't have like things like 401k, but to get like your retirement benefits is such a pain. People go for like years and years and years and fighting back and forth with the government without even having any kind of pension, or they, they can't even leave on the pension that they have. And then you could, I mean, in the short term. You can literally get into an accident unexpectedly. You can't work anymore, no source of income, you know, and someone unexpectedly passes away or you pass away unexpectedly, God forbid. But, you know, things like that, we tend to not really prepare for those because I feel like it's a cultural thing for us to just live in the now and what we have to do with our wealth now. So how can we know our different options to build generational wealth to cover us and our offspring? Well, that's a great, great question. And the way that I'm going to approach it is very simple. What you have to first think about is, think about what you do right now, all of us, right? Yeah. If I went to school and I get a bachelor's degree and I get a PhD and that's how I earn income. The question you have to ask yourself is, if I'm not here, can I hand that degree down to my kids? Mm-mm. <laughs> probably not so yeah. guess what all the money that i made the potential to make that money is gone right, right? now if if i didn't buy a house and paid off let's say i got a mortgage and i'm living in this beautiful house but i'm the one that's earning the money to pay for the house and i check out in a car accident somebody hits me on the road some drunkard no fault of mine and i'm not there to pay the mortgage what's gonna happen to my kids my family gonna the houses will be foreclosed they're gonna be homeless <laughs> exactly right <laughs> what if i had the accident i did not die but i mean yep. i see you i can't earn money anymore yeah What's gonna gonna happen be in, to the house? they're gonna be in debt and the house is gonna be foreclosed so anyway we're gonna be on the street even though i did all the education and everything i'm supposed to do what if i only had one stream of income and then boom that stream of income stops okay but this is what I'm saying. So when you think about generational wealth, it's not like just thinking something abstract. Just think about the basic stuff that we do. Right. When I left my career that I did very well into do, uh, uh, they told me that I was selling insurance, but I'm in the business of building wealth. Mm -hmm. And I was thinking about, hey, what if I set up something where when I'm here or not, my family can have something? 
Right. But if I have any student loans, any debt, credit card, but if I were not here, that debt is paid off. What if my income that I've earned, I've spent my entire life doing an income stream, right? Something happened, right. boom, my economy write a check 10 times my income to my family. What if there's a community or a tool that can pay off the mortgage that I have left on the house? Right. What if my kids' education, any expenses, funeral, boom, is paid for? It's called dying. That's what we talk about life insurance, but it's a way of what? Passing on our efforts that we built. Right. That's the concept of life insurance. It has very little to do with somebody dying per se. It's the process of building and passing on wealth. But I guess because of our, our, our fear of dying, they bring that word up all the time just make us be afraid of getting it. That's what I think. Right. And just clarifying that you, you said dime, right? D-I-M-E. Right. And I know we're going to talk about that shortly, you know, in, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the short future basically in a couple of minutes, actually. But I really want to thank you for that because those are things to ask ourselves, you know, the what ifs, because I don't think that we tend to realize that life could happen, you know, to anyone and at any time. And especially in Africa, you know, you always hear these stories. And when I say Africa, I feel like a lot of us, we, if we had to come and sit around one table, I know Africa is not a country. It's, it has 50 something countries, but I feel like we all share similar stories because there are so many cultures that intertwine and overlap each other. But at the end of the day, certain concepts, especially concepts like financial literacy and building generational wealth, they are cut cross they're cut across, you know, regardless of the country, because we see a lot of families suffer, you know, when their loved one dies, or we see a lot of wives, for example, get really maltreated, or they take the families come and take the the property when the husband dies and things like that and leave the wife stranded. And a lot of these women sometimes or most times are financially dependent on the men. And so when the men are not alive or not available, then that's when they get into all the issues, you know, financial issues and stuff. And also even when both parents are alive, something bad could potentially happen. And then they still have young kids that have to go to school and everything. And, you know, it's, it's, it's just something that we have to start as early as possible because we also don't have that culture of like financial independence at a young age. And to an extent, I wouldn't really blame the youth. It's also just because sometimes the system doesn't really accommodate. You have a lot of educated, we're, we're, we're the most educated people in the world, if I'm not mistaken, Africans as a whole. But, you know, looking for jobs, it's such a big thing. There are no jobs. There are no, there's no source of income. I mean, even when people try to, to explore their passions and stuff like that. They just don't have that money to start, you know? So at the end of the day, I feel like money plays a huge part in wealth. And that's something that we have to be very mindful of. And not only the money that you have now, but the money that you have down the road, you know? So um, by the way, I, I just wanted to add Mr. Mark Stewart just left the recording. So um, only Dr. Wende and I will be continuing this recording moving forward. So thank you very much for that, Dr. Quende. And like I said, we will talk more about life insurance and most especially the need to keep your estate or your legacy in check and in order in case of your timely departure or maybe in case you're not here, you know, because that's also another thing. And what I'm talking about is basically the importance of writing your will, regardless of how old you are. Now let's talk about one of the things that we briefly touched on, which is retirement, right? Because a lot of our parents, 
when they retire now, they come and they start depending on us, right? That just increases our stress. And probably our grandparents, we're dependent on them. So now we have our grandparents and our parents dependent on us just because they either cannot sustain the standard of living that they used to have when they were working or just because their retirement funds are not coming in yet, or just because they didn't even plan for retirement, right? There's this ideology in Africa as a whole that your children are your investment. (laughs) I I don't think that is a fair judgment, but a lot of people have that mentality, you know? And so when you are done working, you now come back to those investments that you depend on and those investments have their own investments, right? (laughs) So it's like, it's a generational thing. It just goes down and it never stops. So the purpose of us talking about all these things is to break that generational trend and actually have tangible investments, not human investments, right? So let's talk about 401k and 401k actually is more applicable to here in America. So we will just digress a little bit and talk about the system here in America and how money gets taxed. And let's just talk about that in terms of the 401k. Great. Yeah. So the 401k, basically, most people that have a job probably have one, right? You go Mm -hmm. to the job, they tell you, oh, at some point you're going to have to retire. So you need to open an account that has some benefits. And typically they give you two benefits. One is that, you know, it's it's, uh, offered by your company and only the company can open one for you. Mm -hmm. And that when you put your money in that account, it's not going to be taxed right now. So it's allowed to grow. More of the money is supposed to grow, right? Mm-hmm. And then some companies are generous enough to give you a month. That's what they say. Right. So obviously, if you start a job and they offer a benefit like that, why would you not take it? Well, it makes sense, right? Right. Unless you start asking questions about it. So first, if I put my money in an account, and I just explain the concept of taxes, over time, the government has to get more money because of social security liability, the debt that this country has, guess what they have to, they have to tax us more. So if taxes were going to go up and somebody says, put your money in this account, but guess what? At the end, the government might tax you a lot more. Does that sound like a great idea? No, that doesn't sound like a great idea. Probably not. Now you put the money hoping that the money is going to grow. But you put the money in a market that goes up and down all the time. Right. Does that sound like a great idea? No, it doesn't sound like a great idea. Uh, But one of my questions, though, was, I mean, especially for companies that give you that incentive by matching, right? I'm going, that's the next one I'm going to. Okay, because because I feel like that is kind of a cushion. So even if the market goes up or down, at least you're cumulatively, you're not really losing much because... Let let me explain it then, because you're Mm -hmm. right, but that's the point. I I addressed two of those things, of the benefits that they told you. for me, I'm giving you information as a financial professional so you can judge for yourself. Right. I just want to uh, stimulate the thinking. Okay? Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, everyone is free to decide for themselves what they want to do. But it's right. better to do that from a point of knowledge mm-hmm. than no knowledge. Right. Okay? Mm-hmm. So I want to think about the 401k. So let's say that you put money in your 401k. And mm-hmm. That's me talking about it. And let's say the company matches 50-50. Mm-hmm. You put your 50%, then put your 50%. Great, right? What if I told you that when you go to take out the money, you have to split it four ways? How would you feel? So people put in, four people get out. Right. 
what are you thinking already right now? So what are what are the four people like? What are the four ways that you know? <laughs> exactly? That's the question you're gonna ask me first. So number one is gonna be you. You have to take some money out, correct? Mm-hmm. Number two, your company that opened that plan, they also get a benefit plan. Let's say they match your 401k. Remember, most companies you are not allowed to get the money right away. You have to vest. Yeah. That means if you don't get that money and it grows, they keep the money. That makes sense. So they get a benefit from that plan. Mm-hmm. And then there's a company that holds your money. Mm-hmm. So like Fidelity Vanguard. Remember, they don't work for free, right? Yeah. Yeah. They're gonna take a cut. And then there's our favorite Texas. Yes. Yeah. So you see, four people can take money out of your account. By the way, do you understand that out of those four people? The company that takes your money can decide what they get, right? Uncle Sam can decide exactly what they get. Do you know who cannot decide what they get? Me. You. Mm-hmm. Think about that for a second. <laughs> you put 50% money in an account, but you are the last person to decide how much you get out of that account. I know if I ask that, you are not getting into business. You put right. all the, the, the money to get the business started, the capital. Mm-hmm. But I own half of the money. And at any point in the future, I can decide to increase my stake. And you can't take me to court because I own the courts too. Right. Would that sound like a great setup? No, that will not. Listen, I leave you to judge you for yourself. You have to understand what's going on. Right. Yeah, it's it's all about understanding, like you said. Exactly. Um, it's all about having that knowledge to make an informed decision, right? So we're not trying to say which is good or which is bad. We're just giving the options and explaining the different options for people to make that informed decision based on what they get or understand from these explanations. And the reason I say what I just said is why? Because most people, that's what they have, but they've never questioned it. Yeah. That makes sense? Yeah. So I say that to say this. If I said those things, ask yourself, is that the only option that I have? What if I said there were other options? Would you be interested to at least know what they are? Right. That's all I want people to do. Go learn about the other options that are available. Then you can make a more informed decision. Right. Or they can actually contact you, which we will put your contact information, <laughs> you know, for people to contact you if they have any more questions and, you know, just want to know more in order to make that decision, you know? So thank you so much for sharing that. Now, what are the, talking about the options, uh, one of the other options that stood out to me personally, and it's something that I actually had about almost 10 years ago, which I is probably one of the best decisions that I made. And I had that at a very young age is the idea of life insurance, you know? So what will you define life insurance as, and why is it important? Like Sorry, why is it important? And how can we all benefit from that when we're alive or when we're not here anymore? Right, that's, that's a great question. By the way, this is September. September is called Life Insurance Awareness Month. Awesome. Right. So this, this uh, uh, interaction could not be more timely. <laughs> right. Um, but I said I'm not in the life insurance business. I'm in the wealth building business. However, the concept of life insurance in this country, in the United States, if you don't have insurance, you own nothing. In mm. my view. Do you understand that whenever you buy a house, the, the company insists on you getting insurance on the house, like in case some, the house burns down, to protect their interest. Interesting. You drive a car, they insist that you have to have insurance, even if it's just to protect the third party. You are not protected, they don't care. Right. Right? Uh, you buy a phone, you probably want to put insurance on your phone. 
that make sense? Yeah. But guess what is paying for all those things? You. So, Anya, why would you protect everything except that that actually pays for everything? Right, right. That's true. That's kind of crazy, right? Yeah. But nobody tells you that. So my point is what? The concept of insurance is a part of building wealth. Mm. Okay? There are only two ways to build wealth. The first way you build wealth is called income. So you make income. You go earn income, either through your job or your business, okay? Right. And then you subtract your lifestyle, your expenses, mortgage, food, all of those things. And then you have savings. Right. Those savings you're supposed to put away in some financial vehicle to make interest. So you can either make more income or make your savings make more money for you. That's the only way you become wealthy. Right. But think about it. Somebody has understood that equation, but most people have what fixed income. So you have a job. That's all you get. Right. You have a lifestyle. So your savings are fixed. But let's say you save half a million dollars that you've been working for some time, right? Mm-hmm. And then boom, that idiot hits you on the highway. Hmm. and you find yourself in an ICU and you can't work anymore or you have a stroke, part of your body is paralyzed, you can't work anymore or you have some debilitating illness that stops you doing your normal so you can't drive your car, normally yeah. you go to work, you can't speak, you're a teacher. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Question, how do you replace your income at that point? So the concept of life insurance in this case is called income protection insurance. Hmm. that means you don't have to die to benefit from insurance get what i'm saying right in that same scenario if you were to die your income is still going to stop but that stop in income is going to affect your children and your family so guess what they say dead benefit insurance that can also pay out to protect your loss of income yeah make sense yeah so life insurance in the basic way has two when it comes to like protecting one you can protect your income for you mm-hmm. when you're alive or you can protect your income for your family when you're not here right right but that's that's the first part of it the second part is what it has some tax implications life insurance there's a life insurance the one you just mentioned in a way that is what it's part of a tax code right right i'm not a tax advisor i'm not giving you tax advice but i'm telling you how you know understanding the concept can impact how your money works for you so there are several tax codes, but if, if you understand it, it's called life insurance because you have to have the life insurance to have that tax code work for you. But right. basically what that does is it allows your money to grow. So it's tax deferred, but when you take out the debt benefit, you don't pay taxes on it. Mm-hmm. So companies set a plan up so that you can have your money grow, no taxes. But when you take it out, you don't pay taxes depending on how you set it up and take it out. Yeah. Yeah. So it has implications in terms of protecting your income, which means it also protects your assets. Right. But it also protects you from paying like a lot of taxes if you understand the system very well. Right. Right. Thank you so much for sharing that. Based on your responses or based on, you, you know, the different options that you had already mentioned, you know, depending on the scenarios, like, you know, when you're alive or when you're sick or when you pass and stuff like that, I feel like it's only fair for us to talk about the different types of life insurance because I've heard stories of people, actually, I remember I was on a Zoom call one time, I think it was just a random Zoom call that I was invited to. And this woman was talking about her story where her husband actually had live insurance, but they were not really aware of the kind of insurance that he had. And he fell sick. I believe he had COVID. This was last year. He had COVID and he died unexpectedly, but 
they did not get any benefit from that life insurance, even though he had been paying for his life insurance for almost 10 years. You know, that was really pathetic and sad. So I really want us to talk about the different types of life insurance. I mean, I know it's not something to talk about in five minutes or two minutes and it's definitely more complex than it seems. But if we could just break it down to the easiest form that the layman could understand, you know, just so that we can give some kind of introduction to our listeners on the different kinds of life insurances that are available. And if they need more information, then they can actually reach out to you directly. Now that's, that's a great question. That essentially, in my mind, just for the basic person, there are only two types of life insurance, just two. The first one is called term insurance. It exists for a certain period of time, okay? mm-hmm. that's the term. Then the other one is called permanent. Mm-hmm. Let me talk about term real quick, and I'm going to give you a quick example of the COVID situation that you just talked about, and then why the, public, the person probably didn't get it. So term insurance says, we, we're going to protect you for five years or 10 years or 30 years max. In that period, we guarantee we're going to charge you a fixed amount. So yeah. let's say $100 a month, that's it, okay? That doesn't change. For 10 years, you pay $100 every month for 10 years. But after that 10 years, we're going to increase the price. Usually, they increase it to a level where you can't pay because it doesn't make sense. So most people cancel. Yeah. So they don't really cancel it for you. You cancel by stopping to pay. So mm. imagine that you're paying, and you're paying $100 a month. And then 10 years from now, when it, that fixed payment expires, they ask you to pay $1,000 a month. Mm. Guess what most people are going to They're going to cancel. Yeah. Right? Cancel. That's called term insurance yeah it's cheap but it's stopped it's only for a certain term and can it be yeah. can it be um used when you're alive or you have to pass See, remember that that's the one that i told you you have the term insurance that is living benefits and term insurance that is just dead benefit or you can have both together hmm. if you have the one that is living benefit that means you get into an accident it can pay you while you're alive it's still term but it can pay you money right it's called living benefits life insurance. You have chronic, critical, terminal illness, you can pay you money. That makes sense? And I would think that's probably more expensive than the death benefit, right? It's marginally more expensive, marginally. For the benefit, there's no comfort. It's probably, in my mind, the cheapest insurance you can get for the value that you get for it. Okay. okay? Mm-hmm. But most people are not aware of it, so they never ask for it. They just want the cheapest one. And the cheapest one pays out less than 2% of the time. Right. And that other one pays like more than seventy percent of the time, and they're marginally different in cost. Yeah, and just, just, just make just you know to clarify when you say marginally, uh, we basically mean that when you look at the the benefit that it brings, right? Like it's yeah. way more than you know the cost that you're actually paying for. One, let's say for five hundred thousand, one could cost fifty dollars. Mm-hmm. The other one costs seventy dollars. Mm-hmm. But the chance of getting paid on the $50 one is 2%. The right. chance of getting paid on the $70 one is 70%. 70%. Which one do you got to have? Yeah, definitely. Right, it's a little bit of a way have to understand it. Now, yeah. for the COVID case, because like some, something happened, that insurance that is term, you have to pay usually by year or by month. Mm. So in this particular case, most families, the husband is typically the one that takes care of the financial stock. Because yeah. the spouse is very busy with the kids. So in that instance, I know this just happened. A husband was paying for his term insurance. We have to pay it every month. And then he got into a COVID situation where he couldn't come out of the hospital. Right? Mm-hmm. And then he did not pay the premium. So he'd be mm. paying for the policy. And he didn't pay for the premium. So they give you a little window to catch up. 
But because he was in the ICU and he couldn't even communicate with his wife, I didn't even remember. He's trying to survive for his life. He forgot to pay that premium. Oh. So guess what? They cancel it. Oh, no. Then he passes away. The family doesn't get anything. Hmm. Even though he'd been paying all the time. Yeah. Because of the nature of how you pay for it. Yeah. And that's why it's very important to share such information with your spouses and also to keep each other in the loop because that's just one, probably one $50 payment that should have been done so easily, but just because every other thing was a priority, they got to miss that. And actually it costed them even a lot more. That's uh, pretty sad. That's sad, but that's the reality though. You have to understand how this works, right? So when people go like, Oh, I was paying and then I didn't get paid. That's usually what happens, but they Mm -hmm. don't explain the details to you. And you go like, these companies are pretty but it's not. Because it's a, it's a process you have to follow, right? Right. So that's term insurance. The permanent insurance, on the other hand, this is how you think about it. At some point, every one of us is going to check out. Yeah. But you don't know when that point is. So Anya, you're very young right now. You told Mark that you're 32 years old. If I give you a term policy, it can only last for about 30 years max. Hmm. That means by 62 your fixed payment will be over. Yeah. Right? What if at that point, you have some medical condition that does not allow you to re-qualify? Right, that's true. Then you never have it again. Does that make sense? And people don't think about these things. So you get a term policy. You're young, it's super cheap, right? But the company knows that at 32, man, by the time that annual is like 80, she'll be good. So 30 years, they take your money. They know you're not going to get anything out of Right, right. That's true. You see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. But you open the permanent policy, the premium is a little bit higher right now because you have to put a little bit more money. But that builds a cash component that is like a bank, which is like a savings account. That savings account, if you put it correctly, let's say your cost of insurance is $100 a month, but you put, say, so $100 a month is what? That's like $1,200 a year, correct? That's mm-hmm. the cost of insurance. But let's say you had $50,000 in that account and you had a 10% return on the $50,000 in a year. That means you get $5,000 paid to you. Right. But your cost of insurance is $1,200. Guess what? You have a net of $3,800. Right. And that continues to compound. Over time, you can access that money. Typically, depending on how you access you can access it tax-free. Right, mm-hmm. you use it for retirement, buy a new car, do whatever you want. Question at your age right now, knowing if I just told you that, would you rather have the term one or the permanent one? I definitely will have the permanent one. Actually, I have the permanent one, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? I mean, you have to yeah. understand the game so you can play it correctly, yeah. That's true. That's true. Well, thank you so much. And also the permanent one, I believe also has the living benefit component to it, right? It could or not. So you have to add mm-hmm. it. They're called riders, right? You can add yeah, riders with different features to it, mm-hmm. right? So you could have it or not, but you have to okay. ask. That's what, you know, it's important to understand that. And you can have both at the same time. So. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, thank you so much for that explanation. And I know I'm very sure that our listeners, maybe back home in Africa or in the Caribbean, they're probably missing out on this because it's something that's more applicable. Even in in Europe, in some other places, they are probably missing out on this because it's something that's more applicable to, especially to people here in America, right? So do you know of any similar concepts that 
potentially beneficial in maybe Africa, for example, or even Cameroon on a micro level, or if there are any ways for people to secure um, some kind of legacy when they're both alive or when they're dead? I think the concept of insurance applies everywhere. I think it's more a challenge of availability. I know that there's life insurance in Africa, in Cameroon, for sure, that, that's for sure. Yeah. Right? We have auto insurance. Right. right. We do have that. And people are required to have it. It's the same concept. It's not really different. I there's mean, yeah, auto insurance. Yeah. I mean, I know like there's some other African countries also that have life insurance for, for, yes. for sure, like South Africa, for example. So exactly. usually, but when I, when I say Africa, I mean like a majority of the countries, right? I don't think that the system, or at least with respect to Cameroon, the system does not typically accommodate those kind of concepts per se. And, and, I, and I believe that that's why it's not as common because you have to have a certain level of trust <laughs> in the system to invest your money monthly and expect that if you're not here anymore, they're not going to give your family trouble or they're going to give back the money or even whatever you're paying for as you had agreed, you know, so there has, to, and, and it's unfortunate that, you know, I mean, corruption reigns a lot in a lot of African countries that it's hard even for the citizens to trust the system, you know, even though there are people who probably want to do that and they, they're probably concepts like that, but they're just not as popular. So maybe I'll encourage people to try to look into things like that and also get as much information and make that decision for themselves. But life insurance for sure is very, very important. I don't know if you had anything to add to that. Yeah, what I was going to say is this. I wish I believe what you just said. That is because it's difficult to get it. I don't believe that. Do you know why? No. That means every African that's in the U.S. will have insurance. Well, that's true. <laughs> but that's not true. Yeah. I think there's a cultural element to it. In our culture, every time you talk about somebody dying insurance, people don't want to do that because nobody yeah. likes to die. Right. That makes sense. We have to shift our thinking. And the words that we use are also important. Right? Every time somebody says the word insurance, most people don't like it. And I get that. Yeah. But the key word that I want people to think about is called protection. You want to protect your kids from your debt, your student loans, or whatever. You don't want to pass those on. You want to protect your income to be there. You work hard in school. You build a legacy, whatever. You build your income stream. You want to maintain that income stream for your family, even if you're not here. You spend money, put a down payment to buy a house, right? But you haven't paid off the, the rest of the mortgage. You don't want all that money that you put in the house to be lost. Yeah. You want to protect that, right? You want to make sure that whether you're here or not, your kids can go to school. They have their expenses covered. That's part of the attraction of what protection of all those things. Yeah. But don't think about it as life insurance as if you have to die. Right. Most companies that use life insurance, it has nothing to do with dying per se, because there's a lot more to it than just dying. But dying is something that's guaranteed to happen anyway. Yeah. So if you want to leave something to your family guaranteed, your education, your degrees are never going to be passed on to your kids. Yeah. Your mortgage, you probably don't want to pass it on. Your income is not just going to pass it on to them, but insurance is a way of passing on all your efforts to the next generation. Yeah, that's very true. Thank you for that. And, you know, I, I, I hope to have another financial professional who's actually in Africa. He's in South Africa, as a matter of fact. Hopefully he comes on and also gives that different perspective based on the system out there. Um, I will really be glad to hear from him on, you know, ways to leave that generational wealth and legacy, you know. So talking about, you know, covering your children and covering your family, 
how does one determine how much life insurance is needed to cover their children or their family when they pass away? And I think that's where we should talk about the dime concept. Actually. Yes, I, I've been talking about that in different ways, but you're absolutely correct, right? So when you want to get protection for your family, there's a formula that allows you to do that correctly. Because even the companies would ask, you cannot cover something that does not exist in terms of mm. life insurance. So they use a basic formula in the financial industry called DIME, D-I-M-E. D stands for debt. If you have like college or you know, credit card debt, you don't want to pass that on to your kids. Some people think that when they die, their debts disappear in this country. It does not. There's something called probate. And I don't know if we're going to talk about that later. Yeah, let, let, we, can, we can add the probing to that. We were going to talk yeah. about that later, but we can add that. Yeah, so probate means that if, if you pass away and you have credit card debt, you have student loans, tax debt, the government is going to make sure that your estate pays for it. So typically they freeze all your accounts. And I'm just saying, I, I don't know if this is true, but I think that's why they tell you not to pronounce anybody dead at home because the professional that pronounces them dead is supposed to call a number and that number freezes all the accounts mm. until all that debt is paid off. Even spouses with joint account may not even be able to access the account if somebody passes away until all of that stuff is cleared out. It can take yeah. one to two years, right? So if your money is sitting in the wrong account, accounts that have to go through probate, your family can suddenly boom, find yourself in a very challenging position, right? Mm -hmm. So those debt that you have don't just disappear, okay? But you can make sure that there's enough money to cover any debt that you have outstanding. Number one, number two, your income, your degree, your experience doesn't pass on to your kids. Yeah. But you can actually have insurance that duplicates your income like 20 up to 20 times. You make a hundred thousand dollars a year, 10 times you can have a million dollars given to your family, just like that through life insurance when you're not here. Right? That's the eye for the income. Mortgage, you bought a house, five hundred thousand, you pay two hundred thousand, you owe three hundred thousand, something happens, that three hundred thousand is due. And taxes may be due on the house. So yeah. guess what typically happens? The family has to sell the house just to pay the taxes. And you spend your entire life putting money into the house. What if a community can write a check with a 300000 boom, they pay off the mortgage, and then your family keeps the house, and they pay off the taxes? Right. And then the last thing is for expenses. So your kids' education, your funeral expenses, all of that stuff can also be covered through that process. So when you think about how much protection do I need, that's a basic formula that they use. Debt. Income, mortgage, expenses. If you add that all up, it's going to tell you how much protection they're willing to cover. You can decide to get a fraction of it, but that's how they calculate it. Right. Wow. So, I mean, hopefully the audience is having a paper. Like, what is your debt, your income, your mortgage, your expenses, and all of that, you know, because it's very, very important. And of course, I believe after you know how much you actually need to determine which will cover your family. Then that's when you can, after you know that from the dime concept, then you can, of course, talk to a financial professional or talk to someone who can provide those resources or give you the, the plans that you could potentially adopt. You know, when I say plan, I mean life insurance plans, for example, or even just investment plans, uh, depending on the institution that you're looking at so that you can Make sure that you and yours are covered even when you are not here anymore, which is very important. Now, how can we actually encourage our community here at home and in the diaspora by 
highlighting the importance of writing wills because I feel like it's not only about what you leave, but how you allocate what you leave because a lot of rich or wealthy people have left extremely poor families because there's no order. Everyone is just scrambling to take whatever they can. There's no order in the house when they're not there. You could tell, like, you know, we hear all these stories of very wealthy men having very successful families, kids going to the best schools. The wives are driving the best cars. They are driving the best cars, living in the best houses. And then once they die, it's like everything literally crumbles because there was either no will, there was no allocation of uh, resources that will you know, that the family could utilize to continue life without that person, you know. And I could say this firsthand that our parents' generation, they're definitely not in the habit of writing wills. I mean, I don't know how many of my parents, <laughs> how many times I've spoken to my parents regarding, you know, like instances where people have not written wills. And it's just not something that is cultural. And that's really something that I want us to assert, you know, on the importance of writing wills. Yeah. So basically this is, I don't know, in our communities, it's a big issue, even in general population as well. Yeah. I think for us, especially when Africans, when somebody talks about anything to do with dying, it's a we don't want to talk about it. We don't want to yeah. talk about it yet. Yeah. Writing a will means that you're preparing to die, right? <laughs> right? Buying insurance means you're prepared to die. That's why we don't like to talk about these things because it's like, hey, are you kind of trying to cause death? Whether you call it or not, it's still going to happen. Let's just be straight. And when yeah. it's going to happen, you don't know. Right. So we have to just kind of go like, hey, let's just accept that these things are real and plan for it the best way that we can. Right? Because that's our main issue. Just the acceptance that is real. People, oh, oh, I don't want to talk about it. No, we have to talk about it. Now, the, the challenge we have is this. Whether you plan it or not, when you check out, some things have to happen. Mm -hmm. Okay? So let's say you had this nice house that you wanted to keep for your spouse or for your first son, whatever. But you don't write those instructions down the right way. In this country, it's not going to happen like that. Yep. The government would write the instructions for your family if you didn't write one before you die. So if you'd like the government to dictate for your family, great, they don't have a will. But if you don't, you better write one. Right. Because some instructions are going to be right regardless. You can set them up or you let the government do it for you. But there are going to be instructions that are read. Right. That's just good. I was even shocked to learn that, you know, if my wife and I were flying and we passed away, the government has to decide who takes care of our kids. Yeah, that's true. As long as, as, as long as you're minors, for sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They, you can't just say, oh, you know, my no, it doesn't work like that. That was kind of shocking. I'm like, oh my goodness, that's crazy. But that's how the system is. Now, in a way, even though I talk about probate as if it's a bad thing, I think it's actually a good thing in some way. Because the probate slows the process of somebody jumping to take your stuff. Yeah, and that's here though. That's here in America. That's here, but not, it's not, not back existent home. back that's, home. That's, that's why I'm saying, and I was saying that to say this. Somebody passes away, then the, the siblings come and take all the stuff from the spouse. What kind yeah. of nonsense is that? But that's what happens all the time. Yeah. And they're going like, oh, you took our brother's wealth. Seriously? Right, right. That's very true. 
pick two people grow up together, they build something, and then the siblings come now. That's our brother's work. What? Yeah. We really have to think about these things a little bit more as a society. The best way is to have the protections in place. The truth is that our system doesn't have those protections, and that's what the issue is. Yeah. That's very true. And I mean, back home where the system does not even have those protections in place for the most part, we have, it's, it's our responsibility to make sure that everything is in order and to set those protections in place. And again, like I said, that has to do with wheels. Now I was attending one of Dave Ramsey's courses and he was also talking about the importance of riding wheels. I know I mentioned that our parents are not in the habit of doing that, but actually we are actually also not in the habit of doing that because we think that we're so old. We think, oh, I don't have anything under my name, so I don't need to write a will because we grew up with that concept or ideology that we have to have some tangible property or something to allocate to someone. Yeah, quite all right, we do, but you have to write a will based on, I mean, even if I'm running, like I'm running my house right now, right? I have to write a will on who's going to take over or who's going to do what with it. Like if I want the house to be sold after I'm dead, I'm like, okay, I want this person to be responsible for that. I want this person to be responsible for that. And honestly, even, I mean, for as long as you start becoming financially independent, in my own opinion, I feel like you have the first, one of the first things you have to do is write a will. And of course, keep updating that will as life changes and you advance and progress in whatever stage in life you are, you know? So it's also something that is extremely important in our own generation as well, because you never know what's going to happen. You never know if you're going to run into an accident or something's going to happen to you. So I just wanted to throw that out there that it's not only when you're getting old (laughs) or approaching, you know, your deadbed that you start thinking about writing a, a will. Like it's something that we have to make a habit, you know, trying to do on the regular. So one of the things talking about, you know, dead bad, we have seen a lot of GoFundMe accounts, right, being created when someone passes, especially here in America. And then sometimes you look back and you look at how the person used to live their life, very lavish, very extravagant. And then, or you see some genuinely hardworking people who are there to provide for their families. But then again, it's like once they're gone, it's like the family is literally dried, dried up, bankrupt. They can't even give that person a befitting burial. And that's what pushes them to, to go fund me. Um, how can we, I mean, I, I hope that, you know, this, this topic that we have spoken about so far will serve as a m- major motive to get people to be more financially responsible and also discourage the commonality of creating those GoFundMe accounts. I mean, I'm not trying to disregard the fact that some people genuinely need the help, you know, but I feel like it's just something that we run to as the first option when a person who was alive should have been more financially responsible and some of the money that they used to buy all the cars and shoes and houses, they should have probably invested that in life insurance. And that's why we were really talking about that. So what do you have to say about um, the whole idea of like the commonality of GoFundMe in our community? I think it's actually pretty sad that we can be in a country like this with all the resources that are available. And every time that somebody passes away in our community, instead of us getting wealthy by getting more money with life insurance, we decide to impoverish the entire community. That's right. essentially what we do. Every time somebody passes, we put a pan or we put GoFundMe. Guess what? You're making the entire community broke. Mm. We have to just accept that fact. It makes no sense whatsoever. 
we are in a country where if you put $50 a month, for example, you can guarantee yourself like having a million dollars. Now, whether we like it or not, we're going to pass away each one of us at some point. But what if in our community, just the financial education that we're offering right now, which is why I'm very passionate about what I do, that people understand that, yes, you can stop buying one pair of shoes a month and put that $100 towards the protection of your family so that every time somebody passes away, the system pays like half a million dollars in the community. Right. You understand the impact that that can have. That's true. So every time that something is going to happen anyway, all of us are broke. And then we contribute money for GoFundMe. They take the cops, take it home. And then guess what happened to the kids? Nothing. Nothing. What kind of setup is that? Yeah, it's 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 ridiculous. It's ridiculous. What are yeah. we doing? Yeah. We need to wake up. Yeah. We can't continue to do the same thing and think that it's okay. It's not okay. It's right. not. Let's right. just be straight about it. That's, we that's can't very true. In a way allows us to be wealthy, to create wealth, and we keep staying broke. We work the hardest. We are the most educated, and our communities are the brokest. How does that work? Yeah. I mean, we we have to we have to think outside of the box for it. For, for sure, you know, because this is something that it's it's really uh, it's 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 not a common practice in our community in terms of you know what to do when someone dies. A lot of people actually care more about the funeral and giving that person a befitting burial. Nothing you do will wake that person up. I was having this conversation with my mom, and she's totally against it. And I know <laughs> it's interesting because she she is just totally against it. I was like, mom, God forbid, if I die unexpectedly like if it has to cost you guys a lot of money just don't just just cremate me cremate me you cremate someone it's not even up to i don't even think it's up to a grand or something like that you know like i'm never gonna come back you know put my ashes somewhere in the house or whatever or throw it somewhere i'm never going to come back regardless of what you do i really don't care you know like they don't think about the family that's left back you know people in our community they think about having that you know, if the person was such a lavish person, they want to give that person a lavish home going. But then, home going to where? Right? Home going <laughs> to where, right? Like, what happens? What happens? Because at the end of the day, rich, poor, purple, white, yellow, green, we're all going to go six feet. We're all going to go. We're going to go back, right? We're going to go back to dust, <laughs> right? So I, I really, it's like, I'm dead. I'm gone. Like use that money for those who are alive. Use that money to do something. And she was like, oh yeah, you know, but then she's in a different generation. That's like a taboo to them and stuff like that. So yeah, I, I, I just think that we have to be way more open-minded, think out of the box and think of the big picture. It's not only about now. I feel like if we tend to always think of the big picture all the time, we will save a lot of money in the now. Anya, if we had half a million dollars of debt benefit and they want to lavish a hundred thousand dollars for a befitting barrier, I'm pretty nope. cool. <laughs> no, no, if they want to. I'm just saying, if, if right. four hundred thousand dollars is going to be left for the family, then I'm cool with that. Right. But you cannot do good for me, get 20,000 and then you spend 30,000 for the funeral. That for makes the funeral, sense. Right. Yeah. And then the kids don't even have anywhere to go after that. I don't, I don't get it. What are we thinking? Yeah. That's Back home, we're probably okay. Why? Because we have like a compound. Back home, families have compounds. So there's always somewhere at least for the family to live. Yeah, to live, yeah. yeah it doesn't work like that. If, if I can't pay the mortgage and I haven't paid on my house, guess what? Even if I, I paid off the mortgage, there's still taxes due. Taxes, yeah. Yeah. So if I can't take care of that, why am I worrying about, you know, all this other stuff? 
I think our problem is that we're too concerned about what other people think. Think, yeah. Oh, this is alcohol. We have to give a breathing barrier. What will people think? So they're going to think something either way. You think they don't think something because you guys are doing GoFundMe? They do. They know you didn't plan anything. Yeah, that's very true. So, I mean, just rounding up the conversation, let's talk about a few action steps that we can encourage our people to take to be more financially literate to be more secured, of course, through life insurance or any other insurance that uh, they may be looking at. And also to just build that generational wealth and legacy that we will all leave behind to our future generations. So what advice will you give our people on how to go about all of that, both here in the diaspora and back at home? Well, that's, that's, you know, for me, I think the primary thing is what we need to be more interested in our financial lives. Yeah. Okay. We need to seek to learn. We are very good at learning, right? People do pharmacy, they do medicine, they do, you know, whatever difficult stuff, we can learn to do that pretty well. I just need people to be more involved in their money. That's it. Yeah. Because that is something we're not actively doing. I know we can do it very well if we just have the interest. Mm-hmm. Please understand this. If you have a problem, if you scream and you have no money, nobody's listening to you. Right. Money is influence. We have to know that. Once you have money, people start listening. We have to change how we think about life mm-hmm. in general. How we make our kids look at life, what they can do in their futures or whatever, right? We have to understand the impact of the things that we do for the next three or four generations. I'm hoping, I'm hoping that someday when my time is up and I check out, someone's going to remember me that I tried my best to make a difference. Right, right, right. Yeah. Yeah. I know what you're doing right now is very admirable. I'm super proud of you for setting this podcast and doing what you're doing. Right. Thank you. You're not even sure what impact you're creating right now. And that's that's the power of what you're doing. That you, I think you cannot set it without really saying it. Uh this podium right here is going to impact millions of lives around the world. I hope and so. I when you're studying, it doesn't seem like that, but I can tell I already see that. Does that make sense? Yeah. And, and you ask, how do you monetize it? It's so easy to monetize what you have, but you're building the business. When you're building the business, guess what? It doesn't look that great yet. I was reading this morning in the Bible. It says what? There's stress before there's a blessing. Yeah, that's true. Have stress, I'm, no looking stress. At, I'm looking forward to that <laughs> blessing. Because... <laughs> It will come. Everything has much. its due time. Everything has its due time. Right. This is season for planting and a season for harvesting. Yeah. This is your season for planting. Plant happily. This is what I want you to remember, though. Anything you plant, you're going to harvest more of it. Yeah, that's true. Okay. You're planting goodness in the society. Guess what? You're going to harvest a lot of it. That's for sure. I have no doubt about it. Thank you. Okay, so I'm, I'm excited to have the opportunity to be on your, your podcast. I hope that, you know, people are at least going to take some time to just listen. Right. And take some action, more importantly. Right. right? Please yeah. just empower yourself with the basic and correct financial knowledge. That's going to change the next three or four generations of our families. Right, right. I totally agree. That was such a powerful way to end this conversation. Now, how do people reach you? I know, I, and I will be putting in your contact information in the show notes as well. But what is the easiest way for people to reach you? The easiest way to reach me is what? Probably by email or text me, my phone number. 
right? I'm also on Instagram. So my Instagram name is at Dr. M. Quende. M-K-W-E-N-D-E. Quende. M Dr. M. Quende on, on uh, Instagram. Mm-hmm. Or you can reach me by email T-I-N-O Tino, the number 4K for kite at gmail.com. Tino4K at gmail.com. But if you want to text me, whatever you can, right? 707. Actually, it's plus one for the U.S., 707-235-6439. So plus one, 707-235-6439. Thank you so much, Dr. Quende, for everything that you have said and also to Mr. Stewart who had to leave earlier. But I really hope that this conversation can spark additional conversation and interest into our financial legacy that we leave uh, here when we're not here. And even while we're still here, hope that the conversation does not end here. Hope that we can go to our circles, talk about this with our families, with our loved ones, and find ways to be better financially and actually to accumulate the true wealth, you know, that will help us and our future generation. So thank you so much. Again, it was such a pleasure having you here. And I have personally learned a lot and I can only wish you the best moving forward. Thank you and have a good day. See you. Thanks. And I appreciate Thank you. All right. Bye. That's it for today. Thank you for listening to our show. If you want to participate in the show or find out more helpful resources, then visit www.livingafricanpodcast.com for more information or email us at hello at livingafricanpodcast.com. Also, don't forget to connect with us on all social media platforms at Living African Podcast. You can also connect with Anyo directly on Facebook or Instagram at Anyo Fombard. Thanks again for listening and let's not forget to be more understanding and nicer to one another.